Let's get down to business. Welcome to Profits and Purpose, a Colorado Business Roundtable production that unapologetically tells the story that business is good through conversations with Colorado's business leaders. Please welcome your host, the president of the Colorado Business Roundtable, Debbie Brown. Thanks for joining us. This is Debbie Brown, president of Colorado Business Roundtable, and you're listening to another podcast that amplifies the voice of business in Colorado. And today I'm very excited to welcome Celia Dietrich, and she is going to talk with us. Uh, She's the CEO of Dietrich Partners, and Celia is going to talk to us in particular about some findings that she's done with the middle market in the Rocky Mountain region. So welcome, Celia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So Celia, tell me about yourself before we jump into specifics about business and other findings with uh, with what your firm has discovered. Tell me your story. I know that you're a Colorado native, but I just want to know more about you. Born and raised, very proud. I have two boys, live down south, very happy. Um, I've been in professional services essentially my entire career. I really wanted to start out being a lawyer when LA Law was hot, but <laughs> nice. as an estate and tax paralegal, it turned out that there was no Jimmy Schmitz and no Red Porsche. It was a Buick in Kansas and Colorado. So I moved into the sexy world of accounting and started my career at Cooper's and worked up there um, and then started running consulting firms for other organizations and worked at Thomson Reuters for a while before starting Dietrich eight years ago. Yeah, well, good for you. And how interesting to have that background with big corporate firms before becoming an entrepreneur and then jumping into how do you help businesses with what you do? Well, it was an excellent training ground. I think I was very, very lucky. And then I had very good mentors along the way. That's great. And you're right. Accounting. I had to take a couple of years of accounting in college, but, uh, you know, barely made it through just enough to get a marketing degree. So I got to tell you, I actually can tie out an annual report. And I still believe that's one of the sexiest things a person can do. So there's a skill to that. Okay. Well, that's, that's, uh, I'll let <laughs> I know. You that. <laughs> well, tell me, tell me before again, we get into kind of some of the details that I want to talk about, um, some of your findings. Tell me about Dietrich Partners. What's your vision for Dietrich Partners? What kind of clients do you have with your work? I started the firm basically on two different premises. The first is you do what you say you're going to do. So you can actually deliver to clients large, complex programs. Then on the other side is you need to take care of your talent. So the name on the door is built by what everybody actually delivers to our clients. And so you need to take care of them and all boats to rise as far as development, skills, wealth, et cetera. And so that's how, that was the premise of how the firm started. We serve clients from the Fortune 100 to private equity, to middle market. Uh, we run large complex programs. So for the, the bigs um, and even the largest public company in Colorado, we're doing global finance transformation all the way down to being private equity operating partners. So whether they're looking at buying a company, we'll come in and do the due diligence all the way to like standing them up, you know, scaling them up and then getting ready for exit. Mm-hmm. So we're about 40 strong, industry agnostic, Sit in a really good space. So nice. project stewardship, M&A, and optimization. Well, and especially we, we talk a lot with Colorado Business Roundtable. We represent larger employers from the private industry, uh, you know, companies like uh, Boeing and Lockheed Martin and IBM, for example. Our vision is to focus on 
telling the story that business is a force for good in Colorado and amplifying the voice of business. And as you know, you know, business has had tremendous challenge, much more than normal the past couple of years with the COVID, um, COVID pandemic and the, and the corresponding economic disruption. And so I found it really interesting to look at your survey results um, around Rocky Mountain region middle market. And so I'd love to ask you some questions about that because our partners really are also concerned about how do we not only bring Colorado back to the strong, robust economic climate that it was pre-COVID, but perhaps opportunity, you know, disruption brings opportunity. So it's interesting to think of like, how do we um, look forward on that? And one of the things in particular you talked about was workforce. And I don't know if you've seen this, Celia, some of our business partners, this was the number one issue before COVID, and now it's just critical. And what are you finding in your in your report around workforce issues? So it was really interesting when we did the first survey, for the most part, teams, so which, which was last summer. And let me, still- let me jump back. So this is sure. a survey that Dietrich Partners puts out, and this is your second survey. Maybe describe why you why you've done this kind of a survey you know the frequency before we jump into some of the findings i actually had covid and i was sick for a number of months and when i actually came out of it i was one surprised that i actually had a company that was still standing but then two we lost no clients we didn't lose any employees and we actually were hiring and so it proved everything that we had stood for the one thing we didn't know though is how was everybody really doing? And it was really hard to communicate because everybody was obviously working from home. And I then partnered with the National Center for Middle Market and said, okay, while you guys are outperforming data, we actually want to talk to RCs and actually like go through and start asking them questions because I feel it's that qualitative piece that actually is going to help others drive their businesses forward. And what do they need and what do they see? And it was basically more so a give back because we had been so lucky. Our first survey through, when they talked about talent, it was more so along the lines of really seeing how teams had come together, how people like really started to contribute to where they were within the, the chain of um, the product they were putting out, the service that they were putting out. And the leadership teams actually expanded and included more to make the decisions and start steering the ship. In this next go around that we released, what was really interesting was because now you have different talent challenges. People are changing what they want to do. It's definitely tightened up from a market standpoint. At the same time, companies have also realigned their talent and they've actually taken a look at all of the roles to decide how can they make that position actually deliver better, be more pro- you know, productive? Who is best in that role? So for some of the construction companies that we work with, you know, they're taking project managers who used to be burdened by a lot of administration, like a lot of administrative work, and they're actually like hiring more project coordinators. So using people for their best skill. But it's, and it's things that you, that they should have been doing a long time ago, but it gave them a chance to pause and actually realign. And I think a lot of it too is because they're actually talking to their employees. And that is what we're seeing now all across the board. In order to retain, it's these stay interviews. And it's actually understanding, you know, what do your employees really need and actually connecting back with them once again. And some companies were good at it, some weren't necessarily as good at it. But to sit down and truly understand 
what's important to you. Yeah. And in such a tight labor market to not go to that effort to try to understand the needs of employees going forward, you know, uh, companies won't survive if they aren't willing to create new hybrid situations, new understanding. Uh, and, and like you said, realign. I think that's a great well, and it, for, it forced the hand. It forced those who said, you know, we have to see you every day in order to know that you're working. So now you can actually have flexible hours. You just have to have a core set of hours to work from. And instead of actually using like professional stipends to maybe get certifications or do other things, now they're actually promoting individuals' passions. So we've got one who wanted to go out and make bread. And so instead of actually like taking a certified exit planning course, we're supporting them going to Cook Street Market, and like learning how to make bread. Uh, but it's because then when you come back into the office, you're doing your best work. I think that's great. I, I'm actually on the board of the Colorado Women's Chamber, and there's been a lot of studies about the She Session, which, and maybe you're familiar with that, Celia, about- No, Heidi, yes. Yeah, the, the impact, especially you mentioned you have boys, the impact, especially on working moms who have kids in their home, yep. whether it was disruption in daycare or disruption in education, it, uh, you know, families had to make decisions, especially if you had a two, two person, a husband and wife family about how you adapt to making sure your kids are still educated or still looked after. What I think is interesting though, while it hurt women disproportionately in the workforce, I think going forward, I'm actually optimistic that it'll help women to some degree. Like you said, performance will be judged differently in the future. It's, it'll never go back to exactly the way it was. And so to be judged by performance rather than just seat time is sort of a new, interesting thought process, too, for kind of this hybrid workforce. In our practice, you know, we're largely out at clients or we're working from home. That's where it's been the entire time. So we're used to working remote, trusting our employees to get their work done. I will say again, there has been a major shift in how employers have looked at their talent. And so if it's easier for them to actually deliver what they need in hours that are off of what you would consider to be normal working hours and things are still moving forward, there's not a problem. But it's the setting of expectations. It's the core hours. It's what are you looking to do? Because there is still some concern that if daycares don't open, how long will it take for them to truly be focused on what they need to do? But it's just flexibility. Well, I used to be worried, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I'd be worried if a dog barked in the background if I was on a call because I just have oh, a dog. We all did. Yes. I know. Nowadays, that's like, uh, no big deal. A dog can bark. As long as you're performing well, your dog can bark now then. But I will tell you, I think it actually humanized moving yeah. through business. And Colorado is actually a very friendly business state. I mean, we don't, we compete against one another, but we don't compete against one another. We want everybody to be successful. And I think as we were starting to move through a lot of this and you got to see where people's like, what their home offices look like or the kids that were coming in or the dogs, I don't know, it humanized the interaction. It really did. So back back to the report, um, you had a couple different findings that I looked at in terms of um, not just workforce, but also supply chain challenges. I mean, anybody who's been to the grocery store lately is probably wondering why the shelves aren't full. Um, you were also talking about M&A, um, some challenges related to M&A transactions. What do you think, you know, maybe tackle one of those. What was kind of surprising for you or what were some of those findings um, in terms of either M&A or supply chain that you think would be interesting? So supply chain, we're still trying to understand because it's inconsistent and then obviously is driving, it's being driven differently by industry. 
And I think some of those in the technology space are really struggling because they're not getting the hardware they need to finish engagements. And then the prices are rapidly increasing. So they're seeing periods of, you know, hey, we were able to hold cash. Things were doing really, really well. And now that drag is starting to catch up with them. And so we'll see what happens with that moving into 2022. On the other hand, uh, we have others who didn't miss a beat and are still just you know, moving along just fine within that supply chain space. I think what I found most interesting outside of the org design part was DEI was a, a big topic the first go around, and now ESGs come forward. You know, the social contract has changed, and so now it's expanded, and now all of these you know, new expectations have come onto companies. And that has been the next education piece. And I think some of these other challenges fall nicely into what they're going to have to start to do next. Yeah. Do you help company guide companies through some of those challenges? We do. And and actually right now it's, it's more an education because like people don't even know what ESG is like environmental social governance programs. And it's, you're modeling, but you have to put all this out there and it's eventually going to become a mandate, but it's getting ahead of it. And so to actually move from, we have a DEI program to, hey, we thought we did. Now we hired somebody to now all of a sudden we have all these other things to do. It's it's a lot, but it's really not that much. I think companies really have more in place than what they think they do. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Business Roundtable Nationally, of which we're an affiliate, has been on the forefront of the the conversation of stakeholder capitalism versus shareholder capitalism which I would say is almost like the forefront of ESG. Correct. And it's interesting. I mean, Milton Friedman, uh, you know, old school Milton Friedman <laughs> folks, which I probably am one. I'm kind of, I, I, I'm a fan of capitalism, but it's an interesting <laughs> twist. And I would probably call it modern capitalism where smart CEOs have always, have always operated in terms of, okay, we live, we don't live in a bubble. You know, we need to take care of our community. We need to take care of our environment. Uh, you know, smart CEOs, I think, have been doing that for a long time. It'll be interesting to see where this path leads um, and hopefully doesn't veer companies off their core mission, which, which actually they have to still maintain a profit. They still need to maintain, you know, you, you get it. You're, in a, you're from the accounting background, but the dollars still have to make sense for businesses to stay in business or they can't do all the other good things. And frankly, just employing people is a fabulous a thing that we can be thankful for for our business community. I absolutely agree. And I think it's a step at a time. And so I think it's basically taking a look just at where they are. What makes sense? Like what's material and what do they need to address and being smart about it? There's still a fine balance that you're going to have to attract employees and you're going to have to actually, you know, meet what your customers and suppliers are demanding. But at the same time, yeah, you've got to bring a profit in. (laughs) It's tricky. Mm-hmm. Well, Celia, I, I'm always kind of an optimist and I feel like disruption, even the crazy disruption that we've had that no one could ever plan for. I mean, nobody, uh, I guess, um, horror novels saw COVID-19 coming, but the disruption has brought some opportunities and tell us, and I know in some of the work that I've seen on your findings, what would you say are the key opportunities as we look ahead for businesses? I think businesses got smarter. Those with strong management teams or those who are more open for that change in management team inclusion, they built rapidly technology infrastructures. They started cleaning up their internal processes and their operational processes. Uh, they started getting ahead 
of their like innovative product ideas. And so I think in certain cases, the smarter teams really started buckling down and, and tackling long outstanding projects. Those who are coming out stronger have got pretty strong plans on the development, not only of their people, they've actually, you know, modified how they're actually going to market. They're very you know, innovative. It's going to be very interesting to see how they continue forward, but they're in a stronger position than what they were. Yeah, Celia, I think it's, I, I met with leaders when, when COVID first happened that I think were like, wow, you know, this is really, you know, a time for me to reflect and, and think, how do I take all that I've learned in the past and be the leader that I'm supposed to be? Because, because again, it, it wasn't necessarily textbook, but well, looking ahead, I think you're right. Um, businesses have to adapt. And if they yeah. don't, um, you know, they won't last. But how do businesses adapt to kind of the new reality? If you had a chance to read anything that Matt Joblin had talked about during our release of the second report. So Matt Joblin is the CEO for BMC Investments, so a developer largely known in Cherry Creek. And he talks about this was his epiphany. He felt he was a terrible leader like in, and didn't realize it until basically this, when the pandemic continued on, and then he actually went to his management team, said, here I am, I need to actually change my ways, work with this coach. And then they reset their strategy and then they actually retooled their employment and was like, okay, so 20 to 30 of you in this corporate department we're all in the same boat going forward, or let's find you a better path. That's what they worked on. And he's like, we're stronger. We have a clearer like focus of what we want to do. We're more nimble and I'm more engaged. It was, it's very vulnerable, but it's very helpful. I think to others to be like, this was a good time to reflect. You can actually pivot. It really is. Even if you were successful before. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. And the truth is, um, you know, similarly, I know some CEOs that would never in a million years think hybrid work or any work flexibility. They would have never done it. And now they are because they realize, look, especially at the very beginning of the pandemic, employees need to feel safe. We need to figure things out. How do we put workforce practices into place? And, and, and the workforce is demanding a new type of flexibility. So um, especially to keep talent happy. But we're still in that. I mean, we're still moving through changing work environment rules. So I don't think we're out of the clear just yet. No, I agree with you. I'll, I'll send you a copy too. I, I really appreciated reading your report. And we, we put together a road to recovery report in 2020 with about 70 thought leaders. I'd love to get your opinion on that as well. And I think I what, what I've seen, especially, you know, I know you interviewed, it, it looked like 60, um, C-level executives. 65. Mm-hmm. Oh, 65. Okay. What I love about it is your, your tone of we're all in this together. Like, let's figure out how to collaborate, how to get through this, especially for those of us who are committed to Colorado. You know, how do we get through this and create a Colorado that everyone can thrive, where businesses can still hire, they can still have growth, still have opportunity, you know, and, and we're, I think, a unique state in that sense that we're, that we're very collaborative. That's exactly what I was just saying. I found it so interesting to, like in your best interview or business development meeting, uh, we probably could never pull out everything that these people were saying to us. And to have that group move from just 20 plus to the 65 plus, and then spend what used to be an hour to two hours providing us 
everything from their financial information to supply chain, the talent, to strategy, what they were worried about, how optimistic they were, where they were still involved. It was pretty amazing. I mean, that's a lot to share, but it was because of the collective good. They knew after seeing the first one that, okay, this is my contribution back as well. And I'm standing here and I'm letting you know, this is what we did. And we either were very successful or we didn't do this right. And yeah, I loved it too. (laughs) I do. I'm so proud of this group. That's great. Well, for folks listening in, where can they find a copy of your survey findings? So on djpartners.net. So on our website, that's still available. And so we welcome to pull it down and we're happy to talk with them about it further. That'll be great. Well, we'll direct folks your way. And this has been a wonderful conversation. Always great to meet new people and appreciate getting involved with you. Same. And please send your report over. I'd love to see what you found out as well. (laughs) Will do. Will do. And thanks everyone for joining us today. This has been an episode of Profits and Purpose. Appreciate the chance to share about Colorado Business Roundtable with all of you and the fact that business is a force for good. This has been a presentation of the Colorado Business Roundtable. Be sure to check out all of our episodes on Podcatchers Everywhere at cobrt.com. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom, Deaf Communications. Thank you for listening to Profits and Purpose.